0: sheep before its shears is silent. So I think the, what we can take away from this is um, God's majesty and control of suffering. And with this in mind, let's turn back to chapter 37. Um, <clears throat> this is Elihu's beautiful hymn. and functions as a, as a bridge and herald to God's speech. Um, numerous, numerous commentaries even think that this speech accompanies the gathering whirlwind that we see later. And Atkinson writes about this passage. Elihu has brought us from theology to wisdom, from argument and despair to God himself. And again, Christopher Ash notes that here, Elihu helps Job not only to think with his mind, but also to feel with his whole person the cosmic power of God. So, like we said earlier, this is, the, this is a great example of the creator-creature distinction in action. And I don't know what big open-ended question, what does this passage reveal about the creator creature distinction?
1: Yeah. to worry about.
0: Oh yeah. Sorry. One more center of the creative creature distinction in verse 23. The Almighty, we cannot find him.
2: Mm-hmm. That's just showing that we you know if we want to put our hands on God, we can. We can't. We yeah.
0: I got a great quote from a Puritan preacher that uh, Mr. Berry lent me a book of. He says, God is a wise God, and you will gain nothing by debating with him. Yea, God is a just God, and you will wrong him if you offer to dispute with him. It's that same concept.
3: Yeah, so obviously, wait. (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Maliker. Go ahead, go ahead.
0: we're just not in position to pass judgment on his intentions. A lot of the commentaries who are critical of Elihu um, consider that part like painting God as too austere. And I think that's kind of the point here. God not only understands every facet of the universe, but he's also like behind them and beyond them and uh, commands them like Christ commanded the storm to cease. And proper reverence dictates we acknowledge and bow to this power. Yeah, (laughs) go ahead, please. Yeah, and we just can't comprehend what being perfect in knowledge means, but Daniel's got an illustration
3: that... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you basically have taken the words out of my mouth here, but chapter 37, it speaks of God's majesty and the fact that he's perfect in knowledge. He not only understands the ins and outs of the universe, he is actually beyond them and commands them, as Brennan said, as Jesus commanded the storm. And since it's really impossible to paint a picture of how infinite God is, I want to instead paint a picture of how finite human beings are. Let me just take a brief swoop through history and take a look at some of the prominent beliefs throughout the ages. Keep in mind that these were at one point in time assumed to be true the way theories such as evolution are today. Greek and Roman mythology. People believed this was true. People believed the earth was flat at one point. No offense to any flat earthers here. (laughs) People believed in the theory of spontaneous generation which held that living creatures could arise from non-living matter and that such processes were commonplace and regular. Furthermore, just think about about 200 years ago and even 100 years ago, the way that people with different skin colors were treated and it's just sickening. We look back on history and at what, what people thought was true and we just cringe. People are just so dumb, right? And there's two ways that we can go about interpreting this observation. We can say, well, you know, thank goodness we're educated now. Thank goodness we're actually progressing as a society. Or what I think is the more realistic approach would be, this is the way it's always been and this is the way it is it is now. It's the way it always will be. You know, because there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know. And this paints a picture of how small we are. You know, when have you ever heard a scientist say, oh yeah, we really understand how the human brain works. It's real simple. We can barely understand something as small as our own anatomy. How are we ever going to come close to knowing God's perfect knowledge. Hmm.
0: And with that in mind, with God's bigness and our (laughs) smallness, how do we act given God's perfect control? Um, How do we keep that in mind and implement it in our daily life?
2: Teresa?
4: <laughs> 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 I do I
1: Thank you.
3: There you go, that helps my point.
0: And a lot of the more liberal commentaries on Job um, tend to dislike Elihu because he's talking back to Job. And we tend to resonate with Job's um, out of quarrel with God <laughs> because he does seem to be in the right. It seems arbitrary, but um, Elihu speaks up with the voice of wisdom and says, who are you to speak back to God, um, which is, something that should inform how we live uh, our day-to-day lives. Um, Anything else? Hmm? Oh, how does, I don't know, how does this apply to our daily life? Mr. Wannick?
2: So What she recognized was God is God, she's a creature, and that she doesn't have to see uh, His correction of her
0: suffering. She just needs to receive God himself. Yeah. You're stealing the thunder of my final quote here, but. (laughs) Yeah. This is from Atkinson. The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. Mr. Villager? Mm -hmm. that's what Daniel said at the beginning the book of Job is somehow some way a a triumph in the end Job comes away having um, spoken to (coughs) God having gained more knowledge of him and closer fellowship with him through his suffering
3: <coughs> no, i <I'm sorry. coughs>
0: made Martin Luther become a monk, right? <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's interesting how Elihu concludes after talking about the, <coughs> the storm and the lightning. He says, therefore, um, this is from Francis Anderson's translation, therefore men fear him, surely all wise of heart fear him. God's, God's power and wisdom should cause reverence. Our, our knowledge pales in comparison. Um, and because of this, Elohu warns Job against being wise in his own eyes. 36.21, be careful, do not turn to evil, for you have preferred this to affliction. So with this in mind, we have a final question for you to mull over. Why, why do we serve God? Like we, we derive our worth from what God gives us and not vice versa. Um, Elohu says, 35.7, if you are righteous, what do you give to him? or what does he receive from your hand? So why do, why do we serve God? Is it because of the benefit to us? How much is due to the love and reverence which are due him intrinsically?
3: Yeah, so let me, so this question, why do we serve God? Let me present a story to illustrate this point. Um, so <clears throat> think back to your first minimum wage job, and let's assume that you did your job well, Worked hard, you know, showed up on time, didn't complain, checked all the boxes, you know. But, but then let's say, okay, a few weeks into it, your manager decides, hey Dan, just letting you know, we're not gonna pay you anymore, you know. <coughs> well, I'm not gonna work anymore, right? What, am I crazy? Because the only reason I worked hard in the first place was because of the money. The only reason I was investing myself in giving you my time was because of the reward I received. Now, it's of extreme importance that we ask ourselves, do we treat God the same way? Contrast this with a true earthly relationship. If you're at a restaurant with a group of friends and one of them realizes they forgot to bring money, one of the others will probably step in and pay for their meal, right? The conversation goes like this, You know, oh, thanks, man, I'll pay you back later. But the other one says, Don't bother. Why? Because the relationship is worth more to the person than money is. Even the Beatles were smart enough to figure this one out. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. (laughs) 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 Now we just need to make sure that when God does bless us with earthly possessions, that isn't the reason we are serving him. Ask yourself this question. If I were to lose all my money, children, house, and health, would I still be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord?
0: I'm going to read that quote again. The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. What Elihu teaches us is we can take great comfort in God's steadfastness. Nature witnesses to it. Um, This is God's faithfulness, and as thou hast been, thou forever will to be. Now we're going to sing a song. So, if we could, yeah, have some volunteers to pass out some hymnals. That's plenty. two, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and um, think of this in comparison to Elohu's speech. It has similar nature imagery, um, revealing God's faithfulness through what nature testifies. Um, and also think of this as a closing prayer. This is, this is the practical application that we're, that we're trying to drive at. Um, great is thy faithfulness. So, yes, let's sing Thanks for participating everybody and yeah, that's it. (laughs)